It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined for day two of the legal tampering period by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. Of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. So, Chris, yesterday we were a little confused because George Fant was the big move. The swing tackle, who was the sixth man for the Seattle Seahawks offensive line, Not exactly impressed by his body of work. Still don't really like the move, but the terms came out. It's three years, $27 million. It's only $9 million fully guaranteed. The rest is only guaranteed for injury the second year. So it's a little more palatable. I guess he's an expensive swing tackle at this point, although the plan as of now, from what I understand, is for him to start. Still don't really like this move. It would have been different if they would have brought him in here with the idea of being the swing tackle who can maybe get a look here and there depending on who gets hurt. Like, for instance, say they sign Jason Peters, and you know that Peters is probably going to miss a couple of games, and the idea is that Fant is still developing and he could get in there and fill in for Peters for a couple of games or something. Fine, but the idea that they seem to think he's a starter worries me quite a bit. They need established players on this offensive line. They got one that's an upgrade that we'll talk about in a few minutes, and that's certainly a step in the right direction. But Chris, as we've talked about, they're going to have to have a line that's filled with a combination of guys that are still here, guys they're bringing in as upgrades, and guys that they're going to draft they are going to have to be brought along. They need at least two upgrades on this offensive line, provable upgrades with experience. I don't think that Fant fits that category. However, the guy that I was talking about before, Connor McGovern, does. We'll get to him in a second, but let's finish up on Fant here. Do you feel any better about Fant now that the full terms have been released? Definitely feel better about uh, the terms of it because it's essentially just a one-year deal that they can get out of. Um, but that's just a little bit better because it's not like I, I last night I was sitting here thinking um, that you know they were giving him three years worth of guaranteed money. I figured it was essentially a, a one-year deal. Um, but and as as I said last night, the the money I I don't. It's not that I think they gave up too much for Fant. It's that. I didn't see why they were getting fan unless it was now this is the one thing where I'll shoot him some bail is it's one thing if you get fan and he's kind of a placeholder for now if they can't get a, a, a left tackle at 11 then maybe they go to fan or if they can get a left tackle there maybe they try fan and Adoga batted out for the right tackle spot or maybe then fan becomes the swing tackle um so we'll have to wait and see, and maybe maybe they get somebody at eleven that they feel more comfortable as the right tackle, and then he has to play. So there's still some flexibility there, and right now that they, they're paying him, you know, bottom tier starter money. So they they're thinking, okay, if we have to start him, we'll start him. But obviously, if they can get a left tackle that uh, in the draft at eleven then they'll have to do something else with them. So if that ends up being the case, then I'm not, then I'll take everything I've said back. Uh, But if they're actually expecting Fant to be the left tackle protecting Sam Darnold, that's where I'm going to have the problems and the issue with it. Um, So, you know, if he has to do that for the first couple of weeks, because the rookie they took isn't quite ready because they didn't have as many practices this off season. All right. I could live with that as well. 
Um, but if the season is – the plan is to play 17 games with Fant as the starting left tackle, I, I'm going to question that. And, again, maybe there, like I said last night, I could certainly end up being wrong. Joe Douglas could certainly – he definitely knows more than I do about offensive line. So maybe i just not seeing the vision right now. Maybe that's what it is. But right now I'm going to question that. Still think they should sign Jason Peters. We'll see if that's something that they're going to consider. Peters still on the market as of this recording. So curious to find out what ends up going on there, whether he takes a one-year deal or whether somebody actually gives him more than a year. But that's something that I would certainly be interested in if I was the Jets. Because like I said, what you want is at least two guys that are proven starters that are legitimate upgrades over what you had on this line last year to give Darnold a chance and to give yourself a realistic chance going into the draft because we know that you can't rely on these rookies to be studs right away. Even a guy picked at number 11, even if he starts right away, he's going to struggle at times. So you needed to get guys that were going to come in and be able to start right away and be better than what this team had last year. And I do think that they got somebody that fits that bill. Connor McGovern, who is the starting center for the Denver Broncos, comes in three years, $27 million, 18 guaranteed. And it seems like that offer is probably around what the Jets were putting out there for Graham Glasgow. He got more money from Denver. And this is one of those interesting situations, Chris, because McGovern had an offer on the table from the Broncos for more money than what the Jets were offering, from what I understand. But as soon as they signed Glasgow, they pulled the offer. And when they pulled the offer, that's when the Jets swooped in. Connor McGovern was their contingency plan. He's more or less an average center. He's somebody that is known for being a solid pass blocker. Doesn't have as good of a reputation as a run blocker, but I will say this. Philip Lindsay went out of his way to say that Connor McGovern had a lot to do with his success. As you know, Philip Lindsay, an undrafted free agent in 2018. He had two really nice seasons for the Broncos. So a nice signing, certainly an upgrade over what they've had the last couple of years. Not a stud by any stretch, but I will take an average center at this point. Still think they should have shelled out a few extra bucks for Glasgow, who I think is a better player, but this isn't bad. Reasonable price and a legitimate upgrade at a position where they really needed it on the offensive line. First, I'll start with they, they could have signed both of them, and they could have played mm-hmm. McGovern at center and Glasgow at guard. Like They could have, they could have done that. Or too, vice so. versa, by the way, because right. both guys have experience playing center and guard. Right. That's absolutely correct. So, yeah, so with McGovern, he's, I'd say he's above average center in pass blocking, and he's probably about average, maybe a little below in the run blocking. But as we talked about with their uh, non-interest in Jack Conklin, uh, obviously Adam Gase and Joe Douglas have put more premium on the pass blocking. One thing I'll say about – this is why gradings uh, – you know, we talk about PFF and uh, their grading system and how much we can trust them a lot. But this isn't even about them, but – Specifically, grading centers is, is super tough uh, to talking about what you said about Philip Lindsay because maybe his actual physical run blocking wasn't that great. But center, so much about center is uh, the mental game. And maybe he just got all the assignments and the calls out and he did everything, set everything up perfectly for Philip Lindsay to, uh, you know, run through more open holes. Maybe it was more on the mental side that opened that up for him. Um, you know, the reason why the Jets kept talking about Jonathan Harrison and still liking him, even though they went with Khalil, but they still like parts of Harrison, is because of they kept talking about how smart he is and how good he is at checks and being able to do those same things. <clears throat> so maybe you get a similar thing, probably a little bit better version of that, but also a better physical player as well. And then uh, the other bonus of this move, is it now takes Jonathan Harrison from the starting role and it makes him a backup inside uh, lineman. Whether he's, he can come in and can be a guard, he, he can be the backup center. And I've, I'm going to keep repeating this until I don't have to anymore. But Jonathan Harrison as your starting center, not good. Jonathan Harrison as a backup, a backup center slash guard, I'm good with that. I'm absolutely good with that. So – that helps twofold, um, but still, right now, that's 
they brought in Fant, so maybe he plays, but there's one actual upgrade so far on this offensive line. I've seen a lot of people tweet about how when this came, uh, the continued rebuilding of the offensive line, they've, they've made one upgrade on that line so far. So let's pump the brakes there. It's a good start. They could still possibly go with the Peters, although I doubt it at this point. So they could still draft somebody at 11, and they could still probably find another starter quality, you know, in the rounds two through four. Um, so maybe they add a couple bit more. It's, it's a good start, but let's pump the brakes on the rebuilding of this offensive line right now. I'll take it a step further, Chris. I would say as of right now, you're looking at one upgrade and one downgrade because if Fant has to play, he's not going to be better than Kelvin Beecham. Unless something crazy happens, I don't think there's anybody that's going to tell you that Fant would be a better left tackle than Kelvin Beecham. So we'll see what the Jets end up doing the rest of the way as they also bring back Alex Lewis. No upgrade there because you're standing pat. But Chris, a couple of things. First of all, Alex Lewis played a couple of good games early on and then sort of fell off. He really wasn't that good last year, and I think people tend to overrate what he brought to the table. The other thing that needs to be understood about Alex Lewis is that he gets hurt all the time. His rookie year, he missed six weeks with a sprained ankle. In 2017, he missed the entire season after having surgery on his shoulder. In 2018, he had a neck injury and missed two games. He missed time last year with the Jets. So this is a guy that carries significant injury risk. He's somebody that Joe Douglas is clearly comfortable with, and that's good. And he's at least a serviceable player. But I don't think that bringing Alex Lewis back is anything that anybody should be doing handstands about. Three years, $18 million, certainly fine. Even if he ends up being a backup or swing guard, that's fine too. But this is something that we expected. It's an okay move. It doesn't do anything to move the needle. Yeah, I, I expected him to be back. It was just a question of even when at the point they brought him back, if you could pencil him in as a starter or if it's, you know, uh, he'd be a backup uh, there. Right now he's being penciled in as the starter. It, it is funny to, that you mentioned the injuries because you're absolutely correct about that. I just know that, like, you, you know, if they stick with Brian Winters and they bring him back, fans, there's going to be fans talking about how he can't stay healthy, but they're not going to say the same thing about Alex Lewis because they don't have the same familiarity because mm-hmm. Alex Lewis hasn't been getting hurt on their team until just last year. They're going to – cut him more slack but uh he gets hurt a lot too so if they come back and those are their two inside guards well you better have good backup plans uh and even more beyond just Harrison because they're they're probably not going to play all they would struggle with 16 games now we got an extra game to worry about um but it's a solid move it's a fine they didn't pay uh anything outrageous for it it's good deal financially um so, yeah, it's fine, but you still are going to be hoping for them to be able to find, uh, you know, preferably in the third round. Uh, you, you still probably want that second-round pick to go to a receiver. Preferably, preferably use one of those third-round picks, maybe a third and a fourth on inside guys. So I'll we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. But there's no matter what, you can pencil him in now, but you got to think that they're going to get some uh, competition for him either him or Winters in the draft. couple of things on McGovern that we forgot to mention, by the way. Very rarely penalized. He played 2,510 snaps from 2017 to 2019. Only got called for penalties nine times, including zero last year. That's really, really good, especially for an offensive line that was penalized a ton in 2019. The Jets were just a disaster, and a lot of that came from Ryan Khalil just constantly getting flagged. And then the other thing that's interesting here, and this is courtesy of Rich Semini, in 2016, the Ravens traded up to take Alex Lewis with the 130th pick. They sent the 144th pick and Gino Gradkowski to the Broncos with that 144th pick. The Broncos picked Connor McGovern, and now they're going to be playing next to each other on the offensive line. So it's just kind of funny how things work out sometimes. Chris still whispers that the Jets are looking into Greg Van Roten. I still don't really understand this. I get that Brian Winters is somebody that's not particularly durable, but then again, neither is Alex Lewis, and nobody's raising a fuss about that for the reason that you said. I think Winters is at least as good as Van Roten. He's younger. Van Roten was banged up last year, too, so it's not like he's completely injury-free. 
I would just stick with Winters if my choice is Winters or paying Van Roten, especially since I get the distinct impression that Van Roten is going to get more money than Winters and certainly more guaranteed money because Winters carries zero guarantees on his contract. Yeah, right. Right now, you can, you certainly can't get less guarantees than Winters. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you know, with Van again, again, I'm sticking with uh, calling him Van Rotten because not because I'm saying he's rotten. It's just a much cooler name. Um, but yeah, if you sign Van Rotten at a reasonable price, and it's another situation where maybe he starts if he wins the job, maybe he's back up, then I could be all right with it. But um, I'm not. It, it does sound like there's a market for uh, Van Rotten too. So uh, it, maybe he's probably going to get more than I'd be comfortable with. But we'll see how much more. Um, it's just again if if I'm Counting on him to be a starter, then I'm going to have questions and concerns about this offensive line going forward. And it's the same thing with Fan. So if they sign him and then they end up drafting somebody that starts over him and he just has to be a backup, then I'm going to be all right with it. Um, and the same thing with Fan. That will be what changes my mind. But if they have to play 17 or they're trying to plan with 17 games, with them, then I'm probably I'm gonna doubt it and criticize it until proven otherwise. Still no word on what's going on with Dante Fowler. I don't think that the Jets are gonna end up signing him only because it seems like Joe Douglas just doesn't want to pay anybody. And this is where I think it's funny, Chris. You and I were talking about this before we started recording. People keep talking about how Joe Douglas is different. He doesn't want to overpay. I don't think it's that he doesn't want to overpay. He doesn't want to give anybody big contracts. And some of these guys are worth big contracts. For instance, if Dante Fowler gets 15 or $16 million, I don't see how that would be considered overpaying considering what he did last year, the fact that he's 25 in the position that he plays. I don't think you could reasonably say that Jack Conklin was overpaid or Graham Glasgow. It's just that Joe Douglas has a certain price in mind and doesn't want to go over it. So in his mind, maybe it's overpaying. But in terms of the market, I don't think it's overpaying. And it's not even one of those deals like Tremaine Johnson where you're like, ah, nobody was going to come even close to that figure. So for people that keep saying Joe Douglas isn't going to overpay, Joe Douglas isn't going to overpay, he's just not going to pay. People aren't getting overpaid right now. These these numbers are all coming in a little bit less than expected with the exception of Amari Cooper, which the Cowboys had to peg after giving up first-round pick for him. And Washington was also competing for him too, division rival driving the price up. So that's the only one you can really look at and be like, oh, that's a bigger number than expected. Everybody else is coming in just a little bit lower than expected. <clears throat> so you can't – and we talk about this all the time. Free agency, you have to give a, you know, a little bit more. The market goes up. As soon as a player become hits the full market, it's going up. That's, that's how the market works. So we talk about overpaying for free agents all the time, but it's not overpaying. Sometimes you might outbid yourself. That that does happen. Uh, the Tremaine Johnson thing, like sometimes that happens, but more often than not, ninety percent of free agent signings <coughs> aren't overpaid. They got what the market dictated, and um, whether you want to pay them that much or not is a different story. And Joe Douglas is right now saying, "I don't want to pay these guys that." And all right, uh, again. This is the type of approach that you take when you have a, a good team already, when you have a solid foundation, then you can afford to do that because you, you stay away from any bad deals. But when you have a team, a roster as barren as this, when you need to get stuff around Sam Darnold and look for a big jump in year three and you're trying to compete now and win, and win this year, not Super Bowl this year, but be in playoff contention, maybe get that extra wild card spot, then you're going to have to spend a little bit to do it that quickly. Um, if you're coming in here and you're just like, you know what, we're just going to coast for two or three years and then uh, uh, and then we'll be looking to pounce, then this approach would be uh, the wise move. But I think they're trying to compete uh, earlier than that. And so I, I, I question the strategy a little bit there. Yeah, and especially with the offensive line, if they really like Graham Glasgow, no reason they couldn't have paid him a couple of extra dollars than what they had originally budgeted, because 
as you said, Chris, the offensive line is going to be key to trying to compete in 2020 and especially trying to keep Sam Darnold upright. And this is going to be a huge year for him because if he doesn't get over the hump in year three, all of a sudden the likelihood of him being able to do it dips and it dips every single year that he doesn't do it it's very rare that a quarterback becomes a really late bloomer and I know he's young but we're talking about in terms of experience in the NFL so they've got to do everything they can to give Sam Darnold every opportunity to succeed and I think that going out and getting offensive linemen that you like even if you're paying a little bit more than you originally thought you would or that you're comfortable paying think that that's something that they should be willing to do but obviously Joe Douglas feels otherwise hopefully he's right and it works out for the best while sports can bring us so much joy it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate relax and get decent sleep sunday scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners bo schmidt and mike sill they operated a full service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted they tried all kinds of products but they didn't work then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. A lot of stuff going on around the league, Chris. Holy cow, a lot of quarterback movement. Let's start with Carolina. So we had heard that Matt Rule and Panthers Brass sat down with Cam Newton, assured him that he was going to be the guy. This was a couple of weeks ago. And then today we hear Cam Newton has been granted permission to seek a trade. And then not long after that, we hear that the Panthers have come to terms with Teddy Bridgewater on a three-year, $63 million deal. Then Cam Newton comes out on his social media and responds to the Panthers saying that they gave Cam Newton permission to seek a trade by saying, you forced me into this. In other words, that it wasn't Cam looking to get out of there, that they told him they were looking to go in another direction. And I suppose for PR purposes, they phrased it as they gave him permission to seek a trade as though Cam Newton had gone to them and asked for permission to seek a trade. This whole thing is weird. The Panthers have a reputation for handling players' exits poorly. We saw what happened with Steve Smith, for example. Cam Newton did a lot for Carolina. He really revitalized that franchise took them to a Super Bowl and he was nothing but class for them for the whole time that he was there don't really like the way that this ended I understand if Matt Rule thought that Teddy Bridgewater was a better option for them at this point especially considering that Cam Newton's body is breaking down but a they probably shouldn't have gone to him and told him that he was going to be the guy and b they shouldn't have put this out there and try to make him look like the bad guy as though he was the one that asked for the trade so a very strange situation but once you boil it all down Teddy Bridgewater is once 
once again a starting quarterback in the NFL. He will be the guy for Matt Rule in Carolina. And Cam Newton is going to be playing somewhere else next year. Not entirely sure where. I think the Bears would be a very interesting fit, but we're going to have to wait and see. But Chris, overall, this is a really strange story the way that it played out. Not even necessarily that Cam Newton is going to be traded because there were whispers about that a while back. It's just the way that it all came together that was very odd. Yeah, the, really the odd part of it, it was the uh, the part in the middle where they came out and they tried to make it seem like they were going to stick with him. Um, I, don't, I don't know why they did that at that point. Everyone was assuming that they were going to move on from him and, and everyone pretty much made peace with it. And then they came out and they did that and then now they just turn around and they try to make it look like he's the one wanting out. And that's It's just a bad look. Um, but it, it shouldn't be a surprise. It's probably best for him too. Um, so it's just clean slate. They both go on just different ways. And, you know, if he can stay healthy and go to a place like Chicago, that that could be a really, really huge thing for him. So, you know, maybe he ends up in San Diego still. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, so it's interesting. But I'd, I'd say the weird part about it was really the middle part. They could have just not done that and just let us all keep assuming he was going to be traded and go elsewhere. And then nobody would be surprised by this at all. Not the only quarterback that's on the move and a franchise quarterback at that. We saw three guys that were franchise quarterbacks for many years with their respective franchises making decisions to go elsewhere, although I guess in Cam Newton's case, the decision was made for him. Philip Rivers signs a one-year $25 million deal with the Indianapolis Colts. Not a surprise at all. This is something that people have been whispering about for weeks. You heard about it at the Combine. George Bremer talked about it on the podcast when he was on here. And then we were hearing that it was all but done over the last couple days, and it finally did get done. I like the move. I think that Philip Rivers still has some good football left. I don't think that he's as good as he was five or ten years ago, but a lot of what happened with him with the Chargers last year was the product of a terrible offensive line. We know that the Colts have a really good offensive line. They have a really good overall roster, especially now adding DeForest Buckner, one of the best defensive players in the league, so that's going to help their defense a lot. I'm sure that they're going to use some of those picks in rounds two through four on wide receivers to give Rivers some extra weapons. With the new playoff format especially, there's no reason why the Colts can't be in the mix. It's not like having prime Andrew Luck or certainly prime Phillip Rivers, but absolutely an upgrade over Jacoby Brissett. And for a one-year deal, this also gives Ballard the flexibility to try and find a quarterback he likes for the long term or... If Rivers does well and they go to the playoffs, maybe hang on to him for another year and then go and get his quarterback of the future. But for right now, I think this was easily the best move that the Colts could make. Yeah, I mean, you have uh, a different uh, levels of confidence in Phillip Rivers at this uh, stage of his career. I, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving the possibility that what I've seen the last couple of years was just... <clears throat> just a disaster of an offensive line, but I, I think it was a combination of it. And uh, a lot of it has to do with his arms, just not the same anymore. Um, it'll be interesting. We'll see how they, uh, you, you know, how the, the Colts offense does with him. Um, what other type of weapons they can add for him right now. Cause that's one thing Colts don't have a ton of, they don't have a ton of weapons. Uh, they got a great offensive line and a solid run game. And then T Y Hilton, but you know, he's had injuries and then after that, they're, they're pretty empty there. So they need to go get weapons as well. It, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. They're, they can be competitive. I just don't really have much faith that it's going to get them too far, especially maybe they can get to the playoffs, especially with uh, Texans getting rid of DeAndre Hopkins and uh, the Jags being the Jags right now. I guess they still got the Titans, but uh, – the playoffs, sure. I don't see them going anywhere in the playoffs, though, with Phillip Rivers. I was just going to say the fact that the best weapon Deshaun Watson had is off the team should certainly help their chances in what will likely be a very competitive division. I'm not saying they're going to win a Super Bowl necessarily, but once you get into the playoffs, that's when anything can happen. As we saw this past year, I don't think most people thought that Tennessee was going to go all the way to the AFC Championship. So 
I'm not saying Philip Rivers is what he used to be, and I'm not saying he's a long-term answer, but I think given the options that Indianapolis had for this coming year, that was probably the best option that they had. I think it's a good deal for both sides, and I think that this also will give Ballard some time to find his long-term solution. And then, of course, the last domino to drop in terms of big-time quarterback names you and I said, Chris, that we would believe that Tom Brady was going to be gone when Adam Schefter reported that Tom Brady was going to be gone. Well, guess what? That day has come. Adam Schefter reporting, and I believe this was a piggyback on Jeff Darlington's report, that Tom Brady is going to go to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a deal that will pay him $30 million a year. I believe it's a two-year deal, which makes a lot of sense. What's interesting here is that, number one, yesterday I started to think this was going to be real because for the first time yesterday, the odds shifted and made Tampa the betting favorite to get Tom Brady. That hadn't happened before. There had been other teams that were close, but New England had always been in the lead. Finally, Tampa took over, and then this morning, Tom Brady comes out on his Instagram, posts a statement thanking all the fans for the Patriots says his heart will always be at the Patriots, but it was time to move on. So he knew he was going somewhere else. There were some whispers early in the day that maybe he would go to Miami and join his old friend, Brian Flores, who is the defensive coordinator with the Patriots when Tom Brady was there. And it would make some sense because they've got a young team on the rise, a lot of draft picks, a lot of money. They just signed his buddy, Kyle Van Noy. But in the end, Tom Brady goes down to Tampa, and I like this a lot. I know, Chris, that you think it's a weird fit because of Arians, but I think Arians is smart and adaptable. They've got excellent receivers. They've got a really good interior offensive line. They need some tackle help, but that defense is really strong, too. They're going to bring back Shaquille Barrett. Todd Bowles did a great job with them. They were in the top 10 in the league last year, and I know you and I disagree on what Tom Brady has left. I actually thought he played pretty well last year. Michael Nanny is working his way through game-by-game studies of every quarterback in the NFL, and I'm glad that what he said backed up what I had been saying for a while, which is that Tom Brady was a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo in 2019 if you factor in everything that Garoppolo had to work with as opposed to what Tom Brady had to work with. A lot of Brady's troubles had to do with problems with wide receivers. A lot of that was not Tom Brady's fault. If you go back and watch the tape, I am in no way telling you that Tom Brady is what he was during his prime, but I think he's still a good starting quarterback. And when you put him with those dangerous weapons in Tampa and a smart and adaptable coach like Bruce Arians, That's a team that could be really interesting, real frisky coming up in 2020. And I told you, Chris, I think the dream scenario here would be if the Patriots replace Tom Brady with Andy Dalton, which could happen. He's got one year left on his deal, and they could probably get him for a fairly modest price from the Cincinnati Bengals. And then if Brady were to go up against Jimmy Garoppolo in the NFC Championship game, the 49ers and the Bucks. Brady beats Garoppolo and then goes into the Super Bowl and takes on Bill Belichick and Andy Dalton. I think that's the storyline that we all need for the 2020 season, unless the Jets make some sort of miracle run. But I love this. I think that Jameis Winston, for as much as I believe in his talent, was a huge albatross for them, turning the ball over so much. If he hadn't been so careless with the football, with the team that they had around him, there's no reason that the Bucks couldn't have been a real playoff contender. But Winston absolutely killed them. Tom Brady is not going to kill them. In fact, quite the opposite. So I think the Bucks are a team to really look out for this year. What What if Jameis Winston's problem really was he just couldn't see? And what What if he gets a chance somewhere else and he's got 20-20 vision that right now and he goes and lights it up? Um, I'm, I'm kind of rooting for that to be the case just for, just to see uh, everybody react to that. I'm also 100% rooting for the Patriots to get Andy Dalton. I, it's just like a, an experiment I want to see. I, I want to see what uh, how the Patriots and, and Bill Belichick do with Andy Dalton as their quarterback. I just feel like it's a good experiment for all of us to sit and watch and observe and then and you collect the data from it and then put that going forward. So that, that's what I'm hoping for first and foremost. Um, you're right. The, the Tampa Bay needs to upgrade their offensive line a little bit because that's a problem. And again, with Arians and how he's usually runs his offense, 
Um, you know, you need more time for the quarterback to get downfield. Tom Brady runs differently. Now, I I would expect Bruce Arians is going to make adjustments to his normal system. Mm -hmm. Uh, They'll still take shots downfield, but I expect they'll do a lot more short passing stuff and intermediate passing stuff. And when you have those two good receivers, Mike Evans and Godwin, you have two talented receivers that, uh, that talented. Then I it, and with Brady obviously losing a step physically, but as he's still an incredibly intelligent quarterback, you can't count them out. But again, uh, going far with it, but I don't I don't think that uh, winning a Super Bowl is the most important thing to Brady right now. So this this will be interesting to see. It'll be fun to see what he does outside of uh, being coached by Belichick, and it'll be interesting to see what Belichick does with whoever they go with quarterback there. So that that'll be a fun storyline to watch on both sides there and see exactly how it plays out. Um, and there'll be a fun team to watch there. It'll be dangerous. That defense has a, an opportunity to be really good too, but uh, I'm, I'm not penciling them in for any Super Bowl uh, trips yet. I'm not saying I'm penciling them in necessarily, Chris, but I definitely think that on paper they're a legitimate contender. I will say that your theory about Jameis Winston is really fun. What if the whole problem was that he couldn't see all this time and he actually turns out to be a franchise quarterback? I suppose he may get another shot somewhere else. Remember, he's only 25 years old. And generally, these guys do get second chances. Look at what happened with Ryan Tannehill this past year. So who knows? He could go somewhere. Somebody gets hurt or somebody plays poorly. He gets another chance. And it turns out that it was his vision the whole time. And he ends up being a really good quarterback. For anybody that wasn't sure whose decision this was, by the way, as far as the Patriots and Tom Brady, here is Bob Kraft's official statement. Tommy initiated contact last night and came over. We had a positive, respectful discussion. It's not the way I want it to end, but I want him to do what's in his best personal interest. After 20 years with us, he's earned that right. I will always love him like a son. So there it is. Unless Bob Kraft is saying that just so that Brady doesn't feel bad because it was Kraft's decision. It sure sounds like Tom Brady decided that it was time for him to move on. And so that's what he will do. And as I said, Chris... We don't know for sure exactly what's going to happen in Tampa, but we do know two things. Number one, for the first time in two decades, basically, Jets, Dolphins, and Bills fans can breathe a huge collective sigh of relief because they don't have to deal with Tom Brady anymore. And we also know that Tom Brady in Tampa Bay is going to be a fascinating experiment, and I can't wait to watch it. Let's go through some of the other free agent deals that happened today, Chris. Emmanuel Ogba goes to Miami, two years, $15 million, seven and a half guaranteed. Interesting fit there for Brian Flores and that defense. Chase Daniel, I got to tell you, man, with the exception of Jim Sorge, I don't know if anybody has gotten more paydays to do less than Chase Daniel. He did beat Detroit on Thanksgiving Day last year, and then I guess they decided that because of that, they don't want him to beat them again on Thanksgiving Day next year, so they signed him to be the backup to Matthew Stafford. Three years, $13 million. He just goes to show that if you can stay healthy and play at an even reasonably decent level as a backup, you're going to have a pretty long career in the NFL if you want to have one. The Bears lose Chase Daniel as their backup, and they also lose Leonard Floyd. The former top 10 pick was released because they didn't want to pay him what would have been the fifth-year option. He would have gotten a pretty hefty chunk of change because of where he was picked, so now he hits the market. People talking about the Jets getting him, and I suppose if you could get him on a one-year prove-it deal, it wouldn't be the worst idea in the world because the Jets don't have great players at the edge rush position, but Floyd was a massive underachiever, didn't play well at all with the Bears, and as much as we're all hopeful for Joe Douglas, this is not exactly a feather in his cap because he was in a very prominent position when the Bears decided to draft Leonard Floyd a couple of years ago. Yeah, Floyd's interesting, though. I I remember when he was coming out of the draft, I loved what I saw on tape, but I was also super worried about like his frame. Um, cause he just didn't have enough weight on him, And I just was worried if it would hold up in the NFL. And then I, I think it was two years ago. He had like a mini stretch where it looked like he was putting it together. 
And then I, I, I think he got hurt, and then it just – he never got back to it, or he just fell off, I forget. But I remember watching the Bears like three weeks in a row and thinking, oh, he was putting it together, and then it just disappeared. Um, but, yeah, if you can get him on a, a, a one-year deal, take a cheap flyer on him, see what he can do, see if he's a better fit in Greg Williams' defense, then that's absolutely worth the shot. But, yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. It's definitely not a feather in Joe Douglas's cap, that's for sure. Uh, but on on a cheap deal, he's, uh, you know, an edge guy. You can get him and, and see what you can get out of him, that's for sure. Jalen Mills goes back to the Eagles one year, $5 million. He is going to move to safety. That's a name that some Jets fans were thinking about as a corner. Be honest with you, I paid a good amount of attention to Philly sports this past year, and Jalen Mills was not good. He's a guy with a name that people know, but there's a reason why the Eagles are going to be moving him to safety. I don't really think that he could do much at corner anymore. And him moving to safety means that all of a sudden the Eagles have decided to part ways with Malcolm Jenkins. So one of their cornerstone players from the championship team is going to be on the open market. Not a guy that the Jets will target, but certainly going to draw some interest from some teams that are going to be closer to contending. I would think that several teams that fancy themselves as playoff contenders in 2020 will be reaching out to Malcolm Jenkins' agent. Yeah, you know, and if... That's one of the one positions that the Jets don't really need to look at. And you could go with the third uh, safety there, uh, you know, to add to some packages, and that'd be good. But you're not paying my, uh, Malcolm Jenkins what it's going to take for him to be your third safety. So um, they're not going to be in on that at all. But it, it is interesting. Uh, I, I'm with you on Jalen Mills. I watched enough uh, the Eagles games to watch him get burnt enough. To be like, yeah, there's, I wouldn't waste my time with that either. So, The Eagles lose Malcolm Jenkins, and they also lose Jordan Howard, who goes to the Dolphins on a two-year, $10 million deal. I like that. Jordan Howard's a solid player. Not going to give you much as a receiving back, but that's okay. They can get that elsewhere. Howard's a pretty solid runner, though. Still relatively young, so two years, $10 million is not much to pay him. Yeah, not much to pay him. Not much... You know, it's it's okay. It's a no okay move. I, I but it's definitely not something that you know. I think anybody should be getting excited about for the Dolphins. But it's a solid move, and uh, yeah, if they can get a, a you know somebody to be more of a pass catcher, and then you just use them sparingly, then it's perfectly fine. Vic Beasley, who led the NFL in sacks in 2016 with the Atlanta Falcons, and then completely fell off a cliff. And if you study Vic Beasley's 2016. That is exactly what you need to look at to understand the difference between sacks and pressures and pressure rate and pass rush efficiency because if you looked at all the major advanced analytics, you would have realized the majority of the 15 and a half sacks that he had that year were a matter of luck and weren't going to be replicated. They never were. The Falcons moved on from him and now he ends up going to the Tennessee Titans. A decent ad for the Titans. He's still only 27, and you hope that maybe he can recapture some of that magic. I know that a lot of Jets fans were disappointed that the Jets didn't pick him in 2015 over Leonard Williams, and they're still fighting about it. Whatever you feel about Leonard Williams, he's still a much better player than Big Beasley, sorry to say. But I suppose, depending on what the price tag ends up being, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world if the Jets would have gone out there and taken a flyer. Though, at this point, I don't think I would be betting on Vic Beasley being anything more than what he's actually been from 2017 to 2019, which is more or less an average pass rusher. Yeah, that's a perfect example of why uh, we need to stay away from using certain counting stats. And, you know, I could say the same thing when people talk about Byron Jones and his low interception total. Like, don't don't show me those low interception totals and expect me to think that Byron Jones isn't a good cornerback because of that. Or, or when people talk about Julio Jones and not putting up a lot of touchdowns uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, like... The context matters to these types of things as much as fans don't want to hear it, especially when it comes to edge register. All they want is a guy that can get sacks, but there needs to be more to it. And then sometimes you will get uh, a bunch of sacks, but they're not really earned sacks. Uh, they just kind of luck into them for whatever reason, blown assignments or somebody else does the dirty work and they run into them. And that's what Vic Beasley went through that one year. 
Um, he's a player I really liked coming out of college too. I I w- I thought he was going to be excellent, um, and that's who I originally thought the Jets would end up taking, and I was all for it. But there's just maybe maybe Mike Vrabel can get the most out of him and do something with him. But um, I it, for the Jets it wouldn't have made much sense unless you know if you got Fowler and then you wanted to give him a one year prove it deal like we were talking about right there with Floyd. Then all right, cool, but. He, he, you, you definitely can't sign him expecting him to be the answer. Jason Witten decides to continue his career, but finally moves on from the Dallas Cowboys. This is interesting. He will go and play for John Gruden, which is kind of funny because Witten was the guy that replaced Gruden in the Monday Night Football booth. And at the time, you thought it couldn't get any worse than Witten in the Monday Night Football booth. And then Anthony McFarland decided to prove all of us wrong because it could get worse than Jason Witten. But he's going to go and play for John Gruden. I guess it gives him a veteran tight end. I don't really think Witten has much left, but at least it's somebody for John Gruden to yell at during practice. Brian Balaga, the veteran offensive tackle for the Packers, he moves on and signs with the Los Angeles Chargers, three years, $30 million. To me, that's a deal I would have made over getting George Fant, but that's not the direction that Joe Douglas and Adam Gase decided to go. DJ Reader goes to the Bengals, four years, $53 million, so a nice deal for him. Kyler Fackrell goes to the Giants on a one-year deal, as does Blake Martinez, so two new linebackers for the Giants. Thomas Davis reunites with his old coach, Ron Rivera. He leaves the Panthers for the Redskins. The Bills re-sign Jordan Poyer on a two-year deal. I like that. Poyer's a pretty solid player. Trey Boston sticks around in Carolina three years, $18 million, nine and a half guaranteed. Sean Lee back to Dallas, one year, four and a half million, two million guaranteed. Good player, but very rarely can stay healthy. And then, Chris, before we run, I know we mentioned it at the very end of the podcast yesterday, but I wanted to talk real quickly about Stefan Diggs and Amari Cooper because we've now had some time to digest this. Amari Cooper gets five years, $100 million. The bottom line here is that they desperately needed him. He's a really good fit with Dak Prescott in that offense. They gave up a first-round pick for him. They didn't want to lose that investment. And so maybe they paid a little bit more than what market value would have dictated otherwise. But that's a player that they really needed to get back. So I think that that was a good move for them. And then Stefan Diggs to the Bills. Boy, they gave up a lot. A one, a two, a four, a five, and a six for Diggs and a seventh. So that is a very big haul for Stefan Diggs. The main ingredient there in terms of why they had to give up so much is that Diggs has a very affordable contract. I am curious to see if he ends up eventually demanding a new contract. I think he's probably going to, but we'll find out. What this tells you is that the Bills are going all in, and especially now with the news that Tom Brady's moving on. The Bills probably feel like the division is up for grabs. It's theirs to get. They went to the playoffs last year. This gives them a big-time playmaker for Josh Allen. Of course, we all know that both you and I are not believers in Allen. I think he's significantly below average, and I don't necessarily see him getting any better as a passer. And I also think this is a recipe for frustration with Stefan Diggs, but you got to give Brandon Bean credit here. He got aggressive. He saw a window. He saw an opportunity to add a playmaker for his young quarterback, and he went out and did it. Yeah, they also just uh, signed Quentin Jefferson and uh, Vernon Butler, two defensive linemen. So that's going to make the Jets need to upgrade their offensive line even more uh, vital. But yeah, the Diggs thing is interesting. It's like, especially you got John Brown, you got, you got smoke and Diggs. Uh, Right now the jet, the Jets cannot cover those guys. Mm -mm. What, what the Jets have to hope for is that Josh Allen can't hit those open guys. But they cannot cover Smoke and uh, uh, Diggs right now. It's, it's just not possible. Um, but like I said, you have to then – the next step is Josh Allen actually completing the pass. Uh, he's improved a little bit, but I'm still not a believer long term. So we'll have to see uh, exactly how that plays out. <clears throat> but it's definitely uh, – one thing you have to say, the Bills have done an excellent job of building talent around him. Um, They've been doing everything in their power to help him out, offensive line, getting him weapons to throw to. If it doesn't work, it's just because he didn't work. They have given him 
everything he could ask for. The Jets clearly have not done that for Sam Darnold. It's what we thought that the Jets were going to be doing for Sam Darnold last year and this year, but they haven't, they haven't been able to do that. The Bills have done a much better job of building around their young quarterback. Um, it's just going to depend on if that young quarterback can actually take the next step and take advantage of the weapons that are around him. Um, yeah, Amari Cooper, like I said earlier, that's more money than you would have wanted, but they backed themselves in the corner, and then they had Washington drive it and the price up. Amari uh, Cooper, I know a lot of Jets fans wanted him, and I get it. <clears throat> it would have been nice to have, but at that type of number, that's, I need a receiver that's way more consistent than Amari Cooper if I'm going to be paying anywhere near that type of money. And like I said, he was one of the guy, the the few guys that got more money than expected. I do need to correct myself earlier. He's not the only one because Trey Wayne's got way more than I expected to. <clears throat> he got a fourteen about fourteen million per. That that's more than I would have thought he would have gotten. So Maury's not the only one, but that is more than I would have been willing to give up. Although I understand why the Cowboys had to do it that way. I'm pretty surprised that Trey Wayne's got that kind of money too because I thought he was going to get significantly less than James Bradbury, and he didn't. One thing I will say, though, in terms of Stephen Diggs, you are right. The Jets are not going to be able to cover Diggs and John Brown. There is one way that they could mitigate that problem, though, and that would be to sign Dante Fowler because if you've got Quinnen Williams and the rest of those guys up front and you've got Dante Fowler coming in from the edge— it's going to put a lot of heat on Josh Allen and make it a lot more difficult for him to get the ball anywhere down the field. So I don't know that there's any big-time solutions at corner, but I would love to see the Jets add Dante Fowler. However, based on what Joe Douglas has done so far, I'm not going to hold my breath. Chris, thanks so much for joining me again. This is day number two of the legal tampering period. Tomorrow we'll kick off the official start of the league year and free agency. A lot of big deals have happened already, but there's still more to come. So a lot that we're going to have to cover throughout the rest of the week and a lot that's going to be up on your website, JetsInsider.com. Yeah, I'm going to, I had, uh, you know, the anxiety of being cooped up in my house just kind of uh, hit me and overwhelmed me today. So I, and I had a lot of stuff going on and dealing with. So I'm going to take the rest of the night off, get a good night's sleep, and then tomorrow I'm going to attack it. I'm going to lay out more options for exactly how the rest of the offensive line can play out. I'm going to talk through some of the other uh, moves that we're still waiting on, what's going to happen with Robbie and Poole, uh, what to look for going there. So there will be a lot more content coming out in these next couple of days. Go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.